Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Show, busy show coming up for you today. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you, 1234 in Edmonton. Louis DeBrusque. Brian Burke, Tyson Berry, George LaRock in the next 90 minutes. Our headliner today is Louis DeBrusque for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, that's W-I-L-H-A-U-K, today. Uh, this is a memo to the, uh, the, the, the fine fellows at Wilhawk. I actually believe they were on one of my Oilers Now road trips uh, with uh, New West Travel. I'm pretty sure our next guest would be all over that as we welcome back former Edmonton Oilers player, current uh, one of the top panels for Sportsnet, the one and only Louis DeBrusque. Hi, Louis. How you doing? I'm doing good today, Bob. How are you doing? Oh, you know, better today than I was yesterday before the game. <laughs> yeah. A little, little less shielding calls. Well, you know what? Uh, hey, I understand the frustration and the passion, right? I mean, it comes with the yep. territory. You, I agree. If you, if you, it's better than apathy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, that's that's just the nature of our business here, especially in the North Division. I think every team could attest to that in the Canadian Division. There's just a whole different type of pressure. There's a whole different type of expectation and accountability. And listen, that's just the passion that we have for the game here. Um, there's no denying that. But, uh, no, listen, I thought it was a much better game. I know it wasn't the running game, gun game that people wanted to see, but sometimes you got to shut things down and play a boring game, so to speak, to win a hockey game. It kind of looked like both teams had a healthy respect for what the opposition could do. I agree. I think that it was a, I really do think if, when you look at the game last January that was in there, that was a run and gun, you know, one of the, you know, um, go back to the old West type of gunslinging games that both coaches probably pulled some hair out during that game. It was an exciting one for us to call. We loved it. There was lots of goals. It was exciting, but um, I think they've already seen enough of that early on in the season. So I think both teams came into it, like you said, Bob, with a very healthy respect for the other team and understanding that if they didn't play a disciplined game, the score could get away from you very quickly. And if you look at them, they're kind of very similar, the way they're built. The teams make up. They have guys that can put that puck in the net, all-world players, um, need production from bottom six, need more production from the guys in different areas. And I, I think... Both teams, in my opinion, played a very stingy, hard game. It was very difficult to generate high-quality chances. There wasn't a lot of outnumbered rushes. It was just, you know, one of those games where both teams buckled down and had their 
had their mentality right in a game. And even in those types of games, don't get me wrong, with the talent that's on the ice, you're going to have guys that are game breakers that are going to still make a dynamic play. Connor was in all alone one time. Austin Matthews had a real good look in the third period to tie it. I mean, that's just the type of games that these two teams are going to play against each other, and they go again tomorrow night, which will be exciting. Yeah, it will be. I, I do think it's going to be a different game. Uh, let's get to some specific areas for the Oilers. Uh, Cuckoo and Larson last night, they logged some heavy matchup minutes. Slater Cuckoo has uh, really come in. and Here we are. It's yeah. a 3-1 victory against the Leafs, <laughs> and we're not talking McDavid dry. We'll get to dry settle in his line in yep. a second, but just, uh, you know, sometimes you got to find players, and it looks like they found one on D and one up front, Cuckoo and Devin Shore. Give me your thoughts. Yeah. You know what? I'm glad you brought up Cuckoo because I, you know, I, I really liked him in the playoffs last year, and I got to cover him and obviously talk about him a lot. And I just thought he stepped up. This is a former first-round draft pick. Being a first-round draft pick, there's a ton of pressure that comes with that. He was in a very deep organization with defensemen, and he still managed to carve out, you know, a presence there. He was able to still get in games and start his career. Couldn't really settle in there and, and find that longevity that you know you would think that a guy of his caliber would bring in. But he had to change his game a little bit. And there's been some you know, articles written about him. He's talked about it candidly, about him going to work and just breaking down his game and trying to be the best that he can possibly be. To have the talent and the skill to be drafted as a first-rounder, you should be able to channel that in the direction you need to. And he's a big guy. He's a big guy that's brave, that has no problem diving in front of pucks, as we've seen early on here in a defensive role. So take what you know about the game and that, that for me, that hockey sense and that ability that you had to become a first-round draft pick and channel it in the right direction in a defensive mindset. And that's exactly what he's done. You've got to give a guy a lot of credit for that because some players, when they hit that wall, they just never were able to really turn it around and get back to something or carve out a different type of career. Um, the players that are able to adapt and adjust at their number one type of career doesn't pan out. They go into more of a defensive role. And now I think you're going to start to see a little offense, too. We saw him score a goal where he walked in and he shelved one, you know, went off the helmet. But you know what? He walked in and had that opportunity because he was in the right position. So um, he's been a great pickup. He really has been. And I think sometimes we overlook the guys that play that simple, sound game because it's not as glamorous as the highlight reel goals and the tic-tac-toes and the running gun. But let me tell you something. Every single Stanley Cup champion team has guys like Slater Cuckoo on it. All right. Up front, Devin Shore. Uh, we know that Ken Hitchcock was consulted on it. There's a belief that Shore is a bit of a gummy. You can move him up and down and all over that lineup. Yeah. Right now, I mean, it's. I mean, you saw Jujarakir was going to be hard pressed to get back in as a fourth line center. Heck, last night Devin Shore Louis was deployed as deployed as the third line center. He got the Tavares matchup uh, with uh, who was that last night? Was that with Nygaard and uh, Pulleyarby? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Sorry, Archibald and Chason with Archibald and Chason. They really oh, were the yeah. third. They were the well, the, the fourth line but they played as a third line they, yes. they played as a third line uh another guy that's got a lot of experience he's been a real good fit hasn't he yeah and you know just to clear that up the numbers are more for us just so that we can recognize what lines on the ice it doesn't to me a third fourth line nowadays they should be one in the same really unless you're a very very deep team where you know what your third line is just a trickle down effect from the top six which they have a little bit of that but Let's face it, your bottom six and top six, that's where it kind of separates for me. But um, listen, he came into camp again on a PTO. A guy that comes in, he's uh, desperate for a job, he's hungry for a job, he comes in 
knowing that he can play both center and wing, which is a big plus when you're trying to make a team. He can play both wings too, which is which is a real asset. But he's he's got size. He's got some grip. He had a great scrap with Darnell Nurse a few years ago. You and I were talking about that uh, before the first game of the season. And you know it's funny because in training camp he set up Darnell Nurse in a an overtime winner in the first scrimmage. And when he made that play, I said, you know that's the kind of play that Devin Shore can make. He's not just a defensive specialist. This is a guy that can play. He can score a big goal from time to time, and he will look to take it on the offense when he can. Um, Just an all-around player. So I think that that motivation and desire to come in and make a new team, he's been on his his best behavior as far as making sure he's ready to go every single practice. He looks like he's gung-ho and ready to go. And Listen, I love stories where guys come into a training camp with no contract, they walk in and they make a team, because that tells me they came in ready and they fill a need for that team, and that's exactly what Devin Shore is feeling right now. So tell me what happens in that situation. So Shore fights Nurse a couple of years ago, and it was one of those <laughs> it was one of those occasions, Louis, where you you remembered yeah. you remembered it, and I I I'd forgotten, and you know how much of a junkie on it, because I'm going to bring up yeah. something to do with you a little bit later on, but. Uh, what, is there a is there an instant respect when it's like Shore's not a fighter? He only had seven yeah. penalty minutes that year. What go? Well, that's what happened? Why I remembered it. That's why I remembered it. Yeah, keep going. Sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no. It's no. It's your form. What happens in that situation when Shore walks into a room with Darnell? It's instant smile, instant handshake, and you know what? You're brothers. It really is, and I've had it myself. But but for Devin, you know, with that, with that scrap, it, the reason why it surprised me is because he surprised, I believe, Darnell Nurse early in that fight. And he got the better of him early on. It looked like Darnell was really coming on when the linesman got in there, and Darnell was upset because he's a late fighter. When he gets into the scrap is when he starts to really throw some bombs. But uh, you know what? It instantly gives you that respect for a player. I don't care who it is. When you go into battle with somebody like that and you fight them, you can still hate them or despise them, but there is a respect there. There truly is because you know that they dropped the gloves and were willing to go to battle with you. And that's all really, you know, as a fighter, that's all you really can. you got to take your hat off to somebody that does that. So I had an instance like that. I fought Sandy McCarthy, I think, six or seven times. I don't even know how many times it was. And he was one of those guys that just ran my show. You know, I fought my first fight, my last fight were good against him. The bunch in the middle were not so good. Let's just put it that way. They weren't so good. He had my number. And I remember we traded for him in Tampa Bay when I was with the Lightning, and he came into the room, and I walked up to him, and that's the first thing I said to him. Boy, am I ever happy that you're on my team right now. I don't have to go up against you because we'd probably fight again for sure. And we played online together, and uh, it was awesome. I loved having Big Sandy on my right side. We had Darcy Tucker at center, and I'll tell you oh, what. Man. Uh, oh, man. Well, you, your next guest likes truculence. That was a truculent line. I mean, we went out there. We did not get pushed around. Let's put it that way. And uh, you know what? It was just the stories come out, you talk about the fights. Um, everyone I know, we look at tough guys in the league and guys that play a real hard-nosed game like they're these animals and crazy guys, and I understand that because of the perception of it. When you get them off the ice, most guys that play that role are just real good guys that uh, just want to go to work and battle, and Sandy was no different. He was really tough, though. I, I put him right up there in the top five for sure when he was playing, and maybe even to the top two or three for a couple of years when he was dominating, but I was very, very happy to have him on my lineup for a while, not have to worry about him as an opposition. You fought him uh, twice in one game. Weren't you sick in that game? (laughs) That was the first couple of fights we had. The first one was 
I'm not going to call a winner. I think it was it was one of my better fights, I felt, in the National Hockey League, and I think we both came out of it. I had the bloody nose, a bloody lip. He had a cut over his eye, I believe, you know, a bloody nose. Like, we both got our shots in. And to be totally honest with you, those were my favorite fights. Those are the ones for me that, you know, I didn't mind taking a little bit of abuse in a fight as long as I could give some out as well. And we exchanged that fight. I didn't give him much respect, to be honest with you. I walked in there, and he kind of, a, a kid that was coming up, it was his first year in the NHL. I'd been around for a few years, and I thought I was the big guy. And I went in there very aggressive. Found out very quickly that not only can he take a punch, he can dish it out. And then we fought right again off the face-off. And, yeah, I had come down with the flu a little bit at that time. I was a little bit ill. And uh, needless to say, uh, it wasn't the most comfortable fight the second one. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go and uh, change my drawers. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah, it was awful. It was it was terrible. But you know what? It was exhibition. You're you're trying to make the team always as a tough guy. You're going to go fight. And Ted Green was really really mad after that because he knew I wasn't feeling well, so he was always sticking up for me. And that's what Greeny always did. He stuck up for his boys. I mean, so he was he got up on the bench after that. And he was yelling across to the Flames bench and the old Battle of Alberta. It was uh, live and well back then, for sure. Uh, we're joined right now by Louis. De- uh, Darcy Tucker. How many times did he get you? One thing about Darcy, he could he could handle himself. I oh, mean, for, he was pound he, for pound. He was really tough. He was a good yep. fighter. Yeah. He was, you know, and he had that mentality too. He just uh, he turned himself into a really really solid player. But when he came to us, he was still green and still fresh, and he was just hungry. He just knew that he was going to be. You kind of got the feeling that there was more there because he just, he wasn't satisfied ever. You know, he'd always come out and he was just always hungry. He was always looking to stir the pot. He was always looking, but he also had great hands. You know, he put up big, big points in junior. He was a guy that came in and obviously he panned out with the Leafs and, and later in his career, he had a terrific career and was a real, uh, thorn in your side to boot but he could scrap so he got just as many fights as sandy and i did that year when we got put together and uh we we used to laugh going into the game because you know you look at that line it was uh there was nowhere safe to hide really yeah oh it's funny stuff we're joined right now by louis Dabrowski. he is our orders now headliner for wilhawk beef jerky bob stoffer brendan escott with you so louis the Oilers get the 3-1 victory the power play went through some struggles that's going to happen leon dreisaitl uh he got off the proverbial schneid but you know what else happened during the course of that game i mean we're now five games into the season um uh, uh, one of the analytics gurus around town, Wood Guy, pointed out to me today, he said, Stoff, like right now, those guys, the points per 60, and we're five games in a year. That is a highly productive line with uh, Yamamoto on the right side, obviously dry settle at center, and Dominic Cahoon at left. And Cahoon's missed a couple opportunities in yeah. tight. Cause I, but it's what they can do off the short cycle and, and dry settle's ability on, on, obviously, he's great on the backhand, but because, Louie, he's good on the backhand to complement the forehand, he's dangerous everywhere he is on the offensive zone, isn't he? Nowhere that he can't make a pass from. It's incredible. He And you know what? He made actually a... I want to say it was game one. I believe that he made a beautiful pass backhand from the corner out into the slot to Cahoon through traffic. It was it was one of those little quick plays that, you know, I mentioned it, but it kind of goes by because the play keeps going. But then you look back at it and go, wow, like there's only a few guys in the league that can make that pass purposely, you know, make that pass perfectly on the tape, on the backhand, through traffic, while a guy's hanging all over you. And that's exactly what Leon did. And it was a no-looker to boot. He knew where, he knew where Cahoon was. 
and he put it right on his tape. Yeah, Cahoon's had some great A chances, and he hasn't capitalized. But I do agree with you in the regard that that line for me, especially with the way Yamamoto's playing right now, he's just an energizer bunny out there. I mean, this guy doesn't quit. He's tenacious. He's aggressive. I mean, he's throwing his weight around last night. He hit Muzzin with a really good check coming across the ice. He is fearless that way. And, you know, there's a little bit of worry, you know, about the size of him. Is he going to get banged up? But you just got to love somebody that goes out there and plays with that much energy every single game. He is a real problem for defensemen on the forecheck. He turns pucks over with the best of them. Um, I believe he had a, a takeaway or two in the one game where there weren't many takeaways a couple games ago. Like, but those are the stats for me, and the reason why he's going to be a staple on that line with Drysdale because he makes things happen. Cahoon to me does the same thing. He's like a left-handed version, maybe not quite as tenacious as Yamamoto, but I'll tell you what, he gets on the forecheck and he attacks and he works. And when you disrupt the play that much and get the puck in the hands of Leon Drysdale, as you mentioned, with a terrific passer that he is, it's only a matter of time before they really start to tic-tac-toe. They've scored their goals a little greasy, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that goal last night really explains it. With Yamamoto on the forecheck, Dreisaitl on the spot, he's trying to one-time that. A guy's trying to get in his way. It goes off the skate and goes in the net. Perfect. You need some greasy goals like that. Jason Strebuck talked about it on the panel the other night. You have to find a way to score some ugly, greasy goals. And you know what? That ugly, greasy goal was a huge one. That was the, that was the one that really got them going and got them started. Well, they got some breaks, and, uh, you know, I, I, they can always go to the whip with uh, McDavid and Drysettle. Some would say they need to go to the whip with R&H and McD- uh, Drysettle and Yamamoto. Yeah. But they got the bottom, bottom line is they got the 3-1 lead, and I think you said something, or the win, I think you said something important. Yamamoto and Drysettle, that's the tandem, and yeah. so it's got to become Nugent Hopkins so and McDavid as, as well. On that point, though, I agree. I understand where people are coming with that because the chemistry that Nugent Hopkins, Drysettle, and Yamamoto had was incredible. You, and you can't buy that. But I understand what Dave Tipp's doing. Dave Tippett's doing. I do. I truly do. I look at it and say, okay, if Cahoon can continue to play the way he's playing and stay on that line, Dreisaitl and Yamamoto are not going to suffer. They're going to be totally fine. And having Nugent Hopkins with McDavid just gives him another quality guy to play with that speaks the same language. It's a great tandem, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid, Yamamoto and Dreisaitl. I think it really splits that up, and it makes you a harder team to defend against. And that is what Dave Tippett is trying to accomplish here. So he's stubborn. He's going to stick with this because, you know, you can see it starting to work and starting to turn out. I personally don't really think McDavid needs anybody. He's just one of those guys that I think could make me look pretty good on the ice right now at 49. But, you know, it is nice to have someone that speaks the same language, plays the same way, and also has a defensive mechanism to his game. You know, Nugent Hopkins is also a little bit of a safety valve for for McDavid, and that's going to be real important down the stretch when they start to get tough matchups. He just has that inclination as a centerman to make sure he's on the defensive side of things, and that's that's a real bonus to have two players that are thinking that way. It makes you much harder to score against. Louis, one final question for you. It sort of relates to Toronto. The team got on the road, they went to Toronto, but it's also going to relate to you. Back-to-back Hockey Night in Canada games on Saturday night because we're going to have Bob McGill on the show on Friday. He's an Edmonton area product, long, played 13 seasons in the NHL. He fought all the big boys. And for the listeners that are unaware, you you kind of worked over Drake uh, Drake Barahowski in Toronto one night, and it was not good for Drake Barahowski. And so there was a big talk that McGill was going to uh, go you back at Edmonton. Did you did you know? You know, was that all the talk at that time? Do you recall that at all? 
Oh, I recall, you know, that was my first full year in the league. I played 25 games the year before, and Hockey Night in Canada was a huge thing for us. We we didn't have all the games televised back then. My mom and dad and people I knew could only watch Oiler games typically when they were in Hockey Night in Canada. So we always knew it was the big show. Um, don't think the players don't know that. They know it's the big show. It's exciting. They want their friends and family and people to see them play. They don't get to see them play that often. I know it's a lot different now with the center ice package and, you know, Rogers Game Center Live, all that. You can watch every game from anywhere in the world you are, and I understand that. It was different back then, though. It was really important to be seen on Hockey Night in Canada. We went into Toronto, and I know they were really all over Drake Perhouse. He became an Edmonton owner and fought a ton that year for the Oilers and really became a good scrapper. But he really wasn't a fighting guy at that time, but the Leafs were really pushing him to be physical because he was a big guy. And he kind of gave me a cross-check and a slash. I turned around, and he dropped the gloves. And, you know, of course I'm going to fight. This is in Toronto. One hockey night in Canada on Saturday, and I gave him the business. I gave him a pretty good shot. I came out of my stuff, and I put him down pretty hard. He was okay, but, he, you know, he got roughed up a bit on it. But I always say, you know what, I took my hat off to him. He started the fight. He fought. And like I said earlier, I never really looked at anybody any different when I fought them. If they were willing to drop the gloves, it was like, hey, good job. I never really kind of said you're lower than me. or I'm t- I, I never really broke it down that way. A fight was a fight, and I always had respect for people that did it. Coming back the next weekend, though, Kenny Baumgartner was in the lineup. Bob McGill was in the lineup. And Don Cherry actually even said something on, you know, before the game, like, yeah, I think we're going to see a little tussle tonight. DeBrusque is going to have to pay for what happened last week. And sure enough, McGill and I got minors together. We come out of the box and we squared off at center ice. And we had a pretty spirited scrap. You know, I caught him with a real good one early. And that kind of set the tone. I don't think he could ever recover from it. But, uh, you know what, Bob McGill was one of those guys, you know, going back and looking at his fight tapes and watching over the course of his career, he fought everybody. Everyone. He was not Every- that big of a guy. And I've met I him know. now. He's a post-career. He's a broadcaster like us. He's suffered some health problems, and it's so good to see him back healthy and running. He's just a tough guy. He's just a tough human being, but a really nice man. And uh, I'm so happy to see him healthy once again. But you know what? Um, I knew there was a lot of respect there for Bob McGill. So before the fight, I asked Dave Manson, you know, what should I do against this guy? And Charlie's advice to me was, Grab him in the middle of his jersey and start swinging because that's what he's going to do. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. You know, you're young. You're like, okay, I guess that's what I got to do. And it turned out okay for me. He didn't cut me under the eye, though. He's one of only two people in the history in my whole career that cut me in a fight. And he got me with a good one underneath the eye and cut me. So, um, you know what? I didn't have – I had tough skin, but uh, not the – you know, I didn't cut very often for some reason when I got hit, but he cut me. Who was the other one? The other one was Tony Joseph. Tony Joseph and Junior playing for the Oshawa, um, uh, Oshawa General, sorry. Um, and it was my rookie year in London, and he was a big, tough guy for the Generals, and we fought twice. The first one, I kind of gave it to him pretty good, and then we came out of the penalty boxes again, and we didn't even wait for puck drops or nothing. We both got kicked out of the game for that one. And uh, we went, it was, a, it was a toe-to-toe battle for the second one. And he caught me with a, a left over my right eye, and I caught him with a right at the same time, kind of like Apollo Creek Rocky, to be honest with you. Mine was a little more powerful, but he cut me on his. 
And, uh, yeah, that ended the fight. And uh, it was the first time that I'd been cut in a fight. And it was a big realization to me. He was, what, 6'4", I think Tony was. He Was he and, the guy in – was he a Jets – was he a Winnipeg yeah, pick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain, yeah, down yeah I remember, I remember him. Guy, you know, he was very good friends with Scott Pearson. So I got to meet him a couple of times years later when Pearson was uh, a teammate of mine. In, uh, in Edmonton, just a real nice guy. But, uh, yeah, he was tough. He was a big guy that could chuck both hands. Louie, awesome stuff. Thanks for your time, man. All right. Sounds good, Bob. Take care. That's Louis DeBras joining us. We'll tell you some guests and orders now. Receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse, whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town. Every meal's an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. We're going to go straight into the orders now. Injury report for James H. Brown. Injury lawyers, when accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, of course, uh, Multiple-time All-Star in the CFL as a safety for the EE football team, 1993 Grey Cup champion, and uh, Jim Brown, who uh, has been involved with the Oil Kings over the years. Big supporters of Edmonton. They want you to stay safe and stay positive. Here's Brandon Escott. Jumbo Joe Thornton leaving last night's game. Didn't return. Head coach Sheldon Keefe saying he will definitely miss some time getting an MRI. Bob, I think it looked like a knee-ish, somewhere lower yeah, body. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, I think he's going to be out. Uh-oh. Uh, Canucks defenseman Alex Edler also leaving last night's game against Montreal. Upper body injury there. A team has been mum on any other info. Flyers lost youngster Morgan Frost indefinitely with a separated shoulder in the same game. They lost defenseman Philippe Myers. Fractured rib there. He's listed as week-to-week and uh, Penguins defenseman Marcus Pedersen uh, listed as week-to-week as well. He's got an upper body issue. That's the Oilers Now Injury Report for James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Back with Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication and solar. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.